Hello and welcome to another episode of The Chronicle, the official film podcast of the People's Movies. And I do thank you for joining myself. And a big hello to Clotilda Tunici. Now, hello, Clotilda. Hello. How are you? How are you? Good, thank how you, are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for joining me last week and this week. And this week, obviously, is episode 22. And we have two films this week. One is in Netflix, but it could still be in the cinema. That is David Fincher's The Killer. And the next film, uh, the final review for this week, will be a film that's going to be in the cinema on the 17th of November, and that's Emerald Fennell's Saltburn. The film for this week is a Netflix film. It could also, as I said, could still be in the cinema. That is the killer David Fincher directs, and it's his first film since his award-winning film Mank. It stars Michael Fassbender and also alongside Charles Purnell, Arliss Howard, Sophie Charlotte and the brilliant uh, Tilda Swinton, who I've actually met. So the, the, main, the main score, obviously I'll, I'll let you mention this first, the main score is done by David Fincher's regulars, that's Trent Reznor and Acticus Ross, who have written, written the music for his last film, The Mank, The Social Network, and The Guilt with the Dragon Tattoo, but they've done other films like they won the Oscar for Soul, and then obviously Bones and All, to name a few. So this film is actually based on a French graphic novel series, which is also called The Killer, which was written by Alexis Nolan, who's also known as Matt, and it was illustrated by Luc Jacquemont. And this film, uh, the premise of the film, is very, very simple. And Michael Fassbender, he's a mysterious assassin, who after a near fatal miss finds himself going up against his employers. But who is actually the biggest enemy here? Could it actually be himself? So when we, we do see the film, the, the film starts with the job, the, the job it was uh, done, it, it kicks everything off. But we don't actually see that job right away. The, obviously, he's attended hit. So what Fincher actually does here, what he does is he, he lets us learn a little about a mysterious killer, but his mindset and plus what he does to keep himself focused on the job from his exercises to his power naps and watching obviously his attended target in and around the building where he's going to do the hit from. And when things do kick off, we also get to see how he covers his tracks and why uh, no one will hunt him down. And the one thing, Clotilde, uh, uh, as you'll know, you've watched it, he has a lot, he has a lot uh, he says a lot of sayings in here, the killer, and things yeah. like stick to your plan, anticipate, don't improvise, trust no one, never yield advantage, fight only with the battle that you're paid to fight. And the next one uh, is one is you you gave me, he says it quite a lot through the film. It's forbid empathy, empathy is weakness, weakness mm-hmm. is a vulnerability. And there's a one that I actually quite liked, and I just remembered it at the last minute. Leave nothing for the elves with their tweezers, forensic baggies, DNA kits, and avoid being seen, which is impossible in the 21st century. So at least yeah. avoiding being memorable, keep calm and keep moving. And mm-hmm. another thing about the assassin, I mentioned music again. He loved the he loved the Smiths. So every time he was doing something or moving on, we basically get the greatest hits of the, the Smiths here. And 
I don't know about you, but I can see clearly from the start of the film that it plays like the comic book, and you could argue it was written like a comic book, which, which I think left many things unexplained, wondering who or what or why he's going after these certain people. And you sort of wonder, was was his paranoia playing in his mind here? Because there's a point when, we, we, when he's fleeing uh, Paris, the scene of the mishap, he heads to the Caribbean and, and the, the place, the house, the villa he's heading to, you don't really know what it is. Is it a safe house for him? And when he does get in there, it makes you think, what made him go after the, the chain of command, as well as obviously the client? As I said, was it just the paranoia? As well, and this this is a film. I think many people will decide in the first ten minutes if you're actually going to enjoy this. I don't know what you think of this one. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it's a film that is can be a bit frustrating because, like you said, I kept feeling like I wanted to know more about the characters, yeah. and I kept like in a way waiting for like maybe a big reveal or yeah. Like just more depth on their backstory, but then I also think that's the point of like, yes, he's kind of like a nameless killer that we don't know much about, and he's also yeah. kind of an unreliable narrator. And I think you kind of have to get that to appreciate the film. And it took me a while. Like I think it took me at least half the movie to really get into the right mindset yeah. and be like, okay, so so this is what I'm watching. Um, I think you do have to be in that mindset because otherwise it feels really like slow and frustrating because you don't yeah. really get as much insight as you may want to. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. Uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot of good in it. I said you, you said to me in the last episode you haven't seen Mank. And mm, that, yeah, I still watch it. Yeah, that, that frustrated a lot of people. But the thing was, that was actually a drama based mm-hmm. on uh, one of Orson Welles' biggest collaborators and then and it showed how uh, how he was the total opposite of uh, the killer here. He was somebody who was an alcoholic, but he was also a great talent for writing and and was so much uh, it was so much chaos and he said and it seems you can see the cause a lot of like like uh, like the Vulcans in Star Trek. He sort of, he, 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 he sort of controls his mind. He's got to control his mind, but occasionally a lot of bit of the, the chaos gets out, sleeps out, not like obviously when they missed the target in, the, in this job. And, uh, and, and, it, and it showed he was, even though he's so nihilistic and he's so cold hearted, he's, he's also very fragile as well. And yeah, even though he, he, the, the, the premise says he goes after. His, his bosses, you don't really, as you said, you don't really know what part of, I mean, the first guy you went for, sorry, this is a slight spoiler, he's, he's the guy I think gives him the jobs and, and there was someone else with him, I would say secretary, she's maybe the one that gets him the money or whatever, and, uh, and he, he just went on to the next one and the next one and going, right, what are they, what are they? I mean, there's one, yeah. there's one scene when he's in Florida. I won't say much about it, like people see it. He was a, he was a muscle man. He was a tough guy, you know, you know. Mm-hmm. And what, 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 what was he? Was he another hitman? Was he the person who may have done the thing? Because when he arrives at this in, in the villa, uh, or the safe house, as I thought it was, 
he was expected to see someone there. And, and I wonder, was it actually that I triggered him to go after all these people thinking it was them? You know, or was it, it could potentially have been another job and someone's actually tracked him down? Because at times yeah. you did see, it may have empathised just a little bit, especially with the the, pers- the the secondary, with the first his first target. His sympathies are sneaked out there and that showed that, yeah, he could be corrupt as well. I kept asking people who've seen it, I don't know about you, but uh, I don't know if you know much about the Smiths. I believe the, the songs that was picked were all portraying his, uh, it was a bit like, the metaphorical, I believe, what mm-hmm. to do with his mindset and how he was and how he portrays to see the world as well. I'm not I'm not the biggest of the uh, Smiths fan. And obviously, uh, a lot of people don't like Morrissey for obviously because he's, his personal views and maybe his political views as well, and that sort of puts people off listening to the, the Smiths. I've just kept wondering these, these little clues of what was going on here. But yeah, I, at the same time, I did like how you said was, I think it was deliberate why we never learned a lot about it, just to show that, uh, how professional he was. He only needs to know the information to do that job. Yeah, yeah in a I think, way, the audience can't get close to him. Yeah, and you know. Yeah, yeah. That's... But also, yeah, I do, I do, I did have like wondering, like, will we know more? And like, there's a lot yeah. that I would want to know about him because it's a really fascinating character. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, I don't know about you. Uh, visually, the film I think looked about. Well, you only watched it on Netflix, is that correct? Yes. I saw I... it on the big screen, not the biggest of screens, if anyone's been to Glasgow Film Fair, there's a little uh, screen fee looks like a, like one of the little screens, you know, where you see the directors and the producers sitting there watching their movie, uh, and, and it has happened, uh, the, you know the film Hell in High Water with Chris Pine? Oh yeah. Yeah, the directors and the producers uh, actually they they screened the film to themselves in this little screen in Glasgow. Say oh, wow. the director actually lives in Glasgow. Or he lives nearby to Glasgow. Is it Kevin yeah. McDonald? Yeah, and he watched it in there. And I, I I was working that day and I was covering that screen. I went, that's uh, that was him. Yeah, uh, yeah, it does look visually great in the big screen. But I think this I looked a little bit on the small screen and I do think it looks it looks fine. It looks actually yeah. fine. It looks it's good. Fun. I just I watched it on Netflix. So I kept thinking, wow, this would look so much better on the big screen, or maybe I would appreciate it more because, yeah, yeah I think it's a great film also because of the cinematography and the sound design, and you lose yeah. those things a little bit on a smaller screen. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I also think the action itself was very minimal, mm-hmm. and and uh, and said. Uh, as I said, Mike, that was a drama, which was Hot and Colby people, and obviously The Killer is an action movie, and I think some yeah. people were judging the two of them, and I think at times people were re- not understanding that the two of them were actually completely different films. What I did like, which did play really good, was actually Fassbender's character. As I said, I feel that he was he was with a shrink, and, and the way he was sort of narrating the actual film, it feels like he was sitting in one of those... Uh, Sigmund Freud type chairs 
and mm-hmm. he was just he was just letting everything out and he was telling us what's in his mind and we're you can see the the viewer was the person with the, the notepad taking notes what was actually yeah. going on here as well and uh, another thing that I did like was Tilda Swinton's delivery of the hunt, hunt on the bear joke. I know. I thought that was, I thought yeah. that was pretty good. I don't know about She's you. Fantastic. So I, I agree. I think that was one of the highlights for me as well. Um, yeah, I only my only wish is to have seen Tilda Swinton more because she's she's so good. I think obviously she's not in it for that long. No. But no. her character, she just makes it so kind of magnetic and you just sort of keep hearing what she has to say in a way so I thought that was great yeah yeah I mean I I, I think uh, our performance was great and I would say Fastbenders was great because he delivers that sort of ice cold performance where he placed his character really well where he's yeah. someone that was devoid of emotions but he, the empathy was threatening to actually erupt here yeah as well and the other characters you only knew enough just to go they're the targets basically I mean, mm-hmm. I thought the film was very slick, it was very stylish. Something you expect from David Fincher, but I just think you were just needing that a little bit more. And it was engaging to a point as well. And I sort of give it three stars. I don't know about yourself. Yeah, me too. Three stars. Three stars. So you go. That is The the Killer, which is currently on Netflix, and it may be on some of the cinemas as well. And that is three stars. And the next and final film for this week is Emerald Fennell's Saltburn. And uh, Clotilde, would you like to tell us a little bit about the film, please? Yeah, so Saltburn is set in Oxford University in 2006. And it follows Oliver Quick, who is a student at Oxford University who just started. And he's struggling to find his place there, partly because a lot of his classmates are a lot richer than him and they belong mm-hmm. to a different social class. But as the film goes on, we see him being drawn to the ward of Felix, one of his classmates, a, who owns this estate in Saltburn, or his family does. And yeah. as they grow closer, Felix invites Oliver to Saltburn for the summer, where he gets to experience this rich and aristocratic lifestyle, and very eccentric as well. Yeah. So yeah, without saying any spoilers, I think that's pretty much it for the plot. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. You're you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, did you enjoy it? I loved it. Yes, I. I mean, I really like Emma Rockwell in general. I think yeah. it's a film that is very her, if that makes sense. I yeah, I don't think it's as good as Promising Young Woman. She's amazing yeah. to me, but I also think if if you don't like her style, perhaps you wouldn't like this film as much because it's it's very much um, what I think she's getting known for. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I didn't like it. But I did like uh, Promising Young Women. I really, really, okay. uh, I really liked it. Did you know that uh, Jacob L. Rode or Rode is uh, yeah. Elvis? Elvis and uh, Sophia Coppola's Priscilla. Yes, he's having such a great year. He is. Yeah, he is. And do you know he's Australian? Uh, that always surprises me. I found out actually right after my thing of Saltburn, I found out he was Australian and I couldn't believe it. He's yeah. really good at accents. Yeah, I believe he also does. I'm not. I'm not a big fan of uh, many of the. Well, I do like some of the young adults because we. But just before we're on air here, we were talking about the the new Hunger Games movie. I yeah. believe he he also appeared in one of the very popular uh, 
sort of young adult series. I'm thinking maybe on Netflix. I don't know exactly yes. where he actually plays um, American. Euphoria. Was it Euphoria? He plays an American character, so he he does do a lot of accents, yeah. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's really good now. I like how I'm seeing it a lot more in the, the uh, younger actors. You know, I mean, you get Sal Sharonin is fantastic doing oh, voice yes. characters, and and there seems to be a lot of the uh, the sort of actors of similar age. They're they're ve- they're very good at picking up our accents. Yeah, where m- maybe someone that's maybe 10, 15 year older than them. It's a bit comedic. Sorry, what was that? No, I agree. I think a lot of the kind of actors training now as well focuses a lot on accents, especially like in the UK and in Australia. Yeah. So it's very interesting. Yeah. As in this film, I I, I, I saw this uh, Bryce Hedge revisited part of the things and Patricia Highsmith, who these days is, I think, more highly influential in a lot of the, the sort of new films and say the likes of Alfred Hitchcock or Austin Wells, which we used to hear a lot of the films at the moment. And I see a lot of talented Mr. Ripley in this movie as well. Mm-hmm. You, know, where, where, and, and you could basically mention any film that's got any of the sort of class divide here where someone who's, if you like to say, is the, the working class pleb, if you like, is thrown into the lion's den. And in the way Barry Keoghan, he, I think he's seen as this, where he's, he's, a, he's middling the people from the, the, top, the top class chain. And I think the film, uh, like many first-time directors, where they've had a fantastic, uh, critically acclaimed film, the second film seems to falter a little bit. But I think this film falters a lot, like the walls of Jericho. And I know some people go, the characters were all terrible, I hated them all. But I think that's <laughs> the point in this film. Yeah. Is in, and then when you start to learn what their models are, Chilling on the motorcycle, you, you, you get, you know, no, they were all horrible. Horrible, either yeah. because of the, the class or they were egotistical or narcissistic or they had re- re- inferior plans. Yeah. I mean, I, as I said, I really wanted to like this. Uh, I love Promising Young Women and, yeah. and it deserved all the plaudits that it got when it came out. And that to me, that was all about the consent. Yeah. Uh, learning uh, consent. Uh, and this one is also about the privilege to use, I think, use their class to get, use their power to get what they want as well. And, and I don't know if you've heard it, but I've been hearing a lot of people who are loving the first film are loving this one. And the people who didn't really like the first one are actually enjoying this one a lot better. I don't know if you... Yeah, I mean, I spoke to a few people who told me that and they said, no, I, I really hated the first one. I'm liking this one. The other thing, I, the thing I liked about it was the... I went to university trained for graphic design, so I liked to uh, or the the graphic design that was used uh, yeah. on the film, and uh, it really worked really really well. And it yeah. worked into sort of class thing as well, and obviously with the music, the classical music that they used. Yeah, as well. I thought that was great. Yeah, it's it really kind of transports you back in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with what you said about the characters. I feel like in a lot of films, like as the film progresses, you always kind of get to know the characters and like them for some reason. And I think in Saltboard it's the opposite. Yeah. Which is why I also liked it because I think it's a film that works if you know very little about it before you go in. Yeah. Because I barely knew anything. I, I think I saw like the season trailer and that was it. So I wasn't I didn't have like 
expectations, but also the little I was expecting was not what I saw. And I really enjoyed yeah. that because I think it works in the sense of like reversal of expectations and really enjoying that if you don't know a lot about it beforehand, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. It does make sense. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely a film of three parts. I think the last part is the one that just loses people mm-hmm. as well. Uh, I mean, there's a part there's the fan the fancy dress and uh, Oliver. Yeah. Uh, he he wore horns, and it, and I think mm-hmm. that was a a lot of sign. That maybe he's teasing something, and he's hiding something. Yeah. And also when we do learn what that might be, I found when it did, it sort of fell apart, it was very flat. I think it was a little bit unconvincing. And from the start of the film to throughout the film, eh, 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 Oliver kept saying, or Ollie's, as Felix called him, yeah. I, I love you, Felix. And you, you, you wondered, is it just like a bromance type thing, you know, I really like you? Or was that was it something else? Maybe like a, a queer undertone was playing it here. You, you, you never really learned that. Though. There was a, was a yeah. few times. I wouldn't say much about it. Uh, all I'll say is things from the. There's a bath. There's a bath scene. There's a, mm-hmm. a scene at a, at a, a funeral. And, yeah. and And then at the very end, it makes you wonder. Yes or no? It could be. It could be the latter. What I said there as well. Let's just say if anyone, uh, what was it, Murder on the Dance Floor? Yeah. If anyone loved that song, yeah, I've gone, I love it even more or even crazy. Oh, yeah, you get absolutely. To see that. Yeah, and seen, and I'll, I'll give it uh, kudos for what he did in that, what he, he done in that. If any actor or actress can do that in a scene without feeling embarrassed, good on them, I you know. You. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. All says to the viewers, I'll let you uh, see it yourself here as well. And yeah. it, I mean, it's really hard. Uh, there's a lot, there was a lot going on here, and uh, I just didn't like it. I don't know what was your overall. Would, uh, would you sort of summing it all up? I actually really liked it. I thought it was really refreshing to see something so daring in a way. It, like it takes a lot of risk, which is why I think a lot yeah. of people didn't like it. Like I think people either love it or hate it. Yeah. But I think that's also not. It's kind of positive because it takes so many risks and I think it's really nice to see in a way that people or filmmakers are willing to do that with their yeah. stories. And I also thought it was beautiful just to look at as well. There's some scenes that I still think about, like in terms of cinematography and lighting. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's an accomplishment because whether people liked it or not, I think people are talking about it. Yeah, no, no, totally. I mean, the thing with the lighting, uh, I think Emerald uh, or the the DLP uh, was very influenced by uh, Stanley Kubrick, maybe, uh, with mm-hmm. Barry Lyndon, especially in uh, Saltburn, the, uh, Saltburn, because he, he used a lot of natural lighting in at times, even apart in Oxford University at the beginning when he's going down to, uh, to have his, his, his meal. When he's walking around and all the people, all the students are all sitting in this hall and it's all decked with uh, candles. So obviously they've been studying uh, Stanley Kubrick really, really well there. I liked that. I mean, the styling, I I liked his styling, but I think it was all style, but no substance. And that was my personal view as Mm -hmm. well. So 
what would you give this movie if if, if, if someone asked you to rate it? Uh, four and a half out of five. Four, whoa, four and a half. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. You, you liked it, and that's the thing, and, and that's the thing I like about uh, the people's movies, why I started mm-hmm. it and why I've started this, is is to respect and hear different views. And as uh, even last week, there was sometimes with films that we reviewed, yeah, with the polar opposite, and there was no arguments or anything. We just appreciated it. We both either liked or disliked it, and that's what I like about. That's why I'm still doing this after 15 years, as well. It's uh, 15th anniversary of the people's movies next week as well. When I'm away, when I'm away on holiday, I know I can't believe I'm still here. <laughs> anyway, yeah, thank you. I will give Saltburn a uh, two stars. Wow. Yeah, very different. But I think yeah. that's what that's what's beautiful about art as well. Like it would be really boring if we all think the same thing. Exactly, exactly. So there we go. Saltburn will be in cinemas, UK cinemas from the seventeenth of November, I believe. In the US, it's going straight on to Amazon Prime. And yeah, it's Saltburn. And there you have it, folks. There's another episode of the Chronicle, the official film podcast of the People's Movies. I'd like to thank you for joining us uh, today for this episode, episode 22. The films that we reviewed, the, the Killer is now currently on Netflix. As I said, it might still find it in some cinemas. Saltburn, at the time of recording, will be in UK cinemas and ID cinemas from the 17th of November. Clotilda, thank you very much for joining us. Will we see you the next time for the yeah. next episode? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. As in, uh, for us, uh, the films, as I said, they're now, they're now out or soon to be out. Please share this podcast and any other future podcast uh, on social media with your friends and family. You can also find The Chronicle on many of the sort of popular sites where you can download your favourite podcasts, such as Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Radio Public, to name a few. You can follow us on social media, on Facebook and Twitter, at The People's Movie, and Instagram, at The People's Movie. Clotilde, where, where can they follow you on social media? So I'm at Films with Chloe on Twitter and Letterboxd, uh, the person being Chloe on Instagram, and on Blue Sky, I'm Clotilde.Kimichi at bluesky.com. Great. Thank you. And before I continue, I'm going to add, uh, last week you probably heard uh, myself and Clotilde couldn't remember two things. The name I, I kept mentioning, and I couldn't remember the name, as in uh, one of the films, that was uh, Poor Things. The person I was trying to think of was Terry Thomas. And the film with Johnny Depp, I was also trying to think of was the film Motodekai, which came out around about 2015 and it didn't start Colin Firth, it starred Paul Bettany. So occasionally you will we will continue the, the chat over at the original home of the podcast and also at the people's movies. That's the Chronicles uh, with Chronicle Extra. You can obviously to find out when the next episodes are going to be appearing or what's happening at the, the website, you send over to the People's Movies, and on the side banner you will find the place where you can sign up for the email newsletter. You can also show your support for the Chronicle and the People's Movies with Buy Me A Coffee and also at PayPal. Thank you very much, Clotilda, for joining us. Until the next time, enjoy the movies. <laughs>